sound fine to me right now, but who yeah. knows what it'll actually sound like. We'll see. Maybe I'll just, hold just gonna it, hold it. Have it. Just <laughs> <laughs> pretend. No. Cute. I'll, I'll put it away for now. For listeners, Reagan's mic is broken, so um, she might sound like garbage, but it's not I her might fault. Sound so far away, but I will amend it. Um, I am once again recording downstairs. Oh, also, hello. Hi. Oh, hi. What a pleasure phone call we're on. Um, I'm recording downstairs because it went so well plugging my computer into the internet last time. So, uh, what I'm saying is that Evan Dodd might make an appearance again. (laughs) You were telling me about pasta and something. Um, oh, you're making something. I well no I'm gonna eat my spaghetti that we made on Thursday that I've been just eating out of the same bowl because I apparently am a little tiny bird and um and we're gonna drive out to Lakutna Lake today oh fun because it's beautiful and we're not gonna go camping because camping at Lakutna Lake equals bears always but I've never been there so wait what I've never been because I've always avoided it because literally every time somebody I know goes camping in a Clutena Lake, they come back and they're like, yeah, we saw a bunch of bears. I'm like, no, thank you. It's true. That's that's the one where I did hear someone in the cooler at like 5 a.m. and got out of my tent and it was a bear. And I was like, that's fine. Yeah. Dirks, our buddy Dirks, he, they went camping out there and he woke up to a bear like, like, shoving his nose into the side of his tent fuck that mm-hmm. fuck that but yep. Clutena Lake is very very cool and not yeah really cool. I the only time I've ever been out there was when um our friend Jesse took us in his plane for our engagement mm-hmm. present and we flew over it but that's the most that I've ever been out there so it's beautiful, and we both have been wanting to go for a drive, so I think that that is what we're going to do. I've also seen moose there a lot. Yeah. Like, close to the lake itself, not in the campgrounds, because moose are smart. Right. Right. So, yeah, so we're going to do that today. Cool. And um, it's kind of it. I watched... Avatar The Last Airbender literally all day yesterday, which was, it was a great time. Oh, good. It was a great time. Yeah, it was lovely. Very nostalgic. What did I do yesterday? Oh, I had a, I had an audition today, so I was like prepping for it most of yesterday. An audition for what? A play called Prodigy. Nice. When, Um, when? (laughs) It, well, yeah, so in the, it was a callback and in the callback today they were like so we've had to postpone right which like wasn't really surprising because they had it set right now where our first rehearsal would be may 31st mm-hmm. and it's just not possible yeah you know and granted it's a small cast it's only a cast of three um so they pushed it back but they wanted to keep the same performance space because the performance space is super cool um it's an old Chicago theater. It's very, very cool. But um, they wanted to keep the same space. And so they booked it for November. And mm. so first rehearsals would be like late September, early October. That's um, cool. 
Yeah, so it's it's delayed, but they're getting the cast list out of the way, um, which I think is smart. And then yeah, um, if cast, I would like to be off book by then, obviously, because I have plenty of time. Right, like why not? To do, but it's a cool it's a cool play. It's about there's actually a um a documentary about this family, um where this like four year old girl made a painting, and everybody freaked out about how good it was and it sold. And so then she had like an art show. Um, and then everybody started raising questions of like, is she actually the one painting these? Mm. Um, and so it explores, you don't see the the little girl in it ever, but it explores the relationship of her two moms and then the um, gallery owner. Nice. Um, yeah, it's cool. I like it. So hopefully fingers crossed, but um. That was my morning. That's why I'm wearing makeup. You're welcome. Look at you. I mean. Fancy. Wow. I legitimately forgot what makeup I had. I yeah. opened my oh, bag yeah. and I was like, what's in here? Yeah. <laughs> I. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to forget just how to put it on. You know, I'm just kind yeah. of assuming that it'll be like riding a bike. I also didn't even attempt eyeliner because I was like, I don't have time to refigure this out. No, thank you. So I just went straight eyeshadow and mascara. Mm -hmm. But I'm a fan. You know what you what you drinking? A perber. Noise. Which I was telling Evan about when I last told you I was drinking a perber, and you told me that that was both too many letters and in the wrong order, and now I can't unhear it. But um, just a just a peeber. Just take out one of those R's. Yeah, but that sounds. I don't know. I don't. I don't like how that sounds. It's not as sophisticated <laughs> as perber. Perber. If you're if you're already shortening it to burr, might as well make it dumb sounding all the way through. A perber. <laughs> you know what, Taylor? You know what? On that note, welcome to Babe Town. Okay. I. I'm so angry at you you because I was literally opening my mouth to say welcome to Babetown when you asked me what I was drinking. I know. I know. I could see it. I was like, oh, what are you drinking? She was about to to welcome to Babetown. I stole it. What are you drinking? I have a Goose Island beer called SPF, Mm. which is fitting because I just got my first sunburn of the season. Look at you. It was that short walk that exhausted Valkyrie. I got sunburned on that walk. Great. I'm a big fan. Yeah. So now that I'm into SPF season, mm-hmm. here we are. I love it. Me too. Big fan. Um, <laughs> I feel like I don't even need to ask this question anymore. <laughs> because I'm 100% sure that you're going first. Are you a hundred percent? I'm a hundred percent sure, but oh, I so good this time. I would love to be wrong, um, but I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that you're going first. I'm so fine either way. When was your babe born? My babe was born in 1916. Yep, you're going first. <laughs> I thought for sure you were gonna say 1960 something. I was gonna be like, yep, you're. I'm first. Wow, but nope. That's 16. 16. Yes, you are yeah. up first. 
All right. Well, <clears throat> I am so obsessed with this woman. And she's like, she's different from the women that we've talked about before. Kind of. I don't know. I love her. Okay. Taylor. <clears throat> Have you ever heard of Edna Lewis? No. Okay. But I love the name Edna. I Oh, so I much so much it's also just like as soon as I saw a picture of her I was like yeah your name is Edna Lewis like it was just very fitting it just I don't know it love just made that. sense which was adorable um wow I love her so much also she's pretty well known in her field but I didn't know about her so we're gonna talk about her let's do it great okay can so I Edna guess what her field is yes go ahead um is it Archaeology? No. Is it accounting? No. Is it Nazi hunting? In a wet no. Oh damn it. Okay, well those are my favorites. Those are my those are my favorites. The Nazi hunters. <laughs> um one of these days I really am gonna make a Night Witches shirt. Anyway. So Edna was born Edna Regina Lewis. April 13th, 1916, in Freetown, Virginia. So Freetown is not an actual, like, town, city. I don't know if you have to register a town or anything, but it wasn't, like, an official settlement. It was just kind of a community um, of emancipated slaves that made this place once they were freed. And the first thing they did was plant an orchard because they wanted their children to see that there can be fruits of your labors. And like, it's just the history of Freetown is the most inspiring thing in the world. That's amazing. So her grandparents were part of the group of the emancipated slaves that founded Freetown along with a few other families. And they're like living off the land. She talks about how it was such a tight community. And like, if you borrowed, if someone borrowed a cup of flour, they returned two cups of flour. And like you babysat each other's kids. And like, it was just like super duper tight knit and precious and wonderful. Um, So her grandparents themselves were illiterate, but they, I don't think rented. I think they just let a, um, a young black woman who graduated from Overland College stay there. And she opened up a school for local kids in their home. Um, just a wonderful place. She said that it influenced her a ton, even though she was really, really young at the time. So 1928, uh, Edna's father passed away and the rest of her family, including her five siblings were very much struggling. We're in the great depression. So yikes in the best. Yeah. Of times. Um, so she's 16 years old and by herself, she moved North to, um, New York city. Eventually the rest of the community left too. And technically there's like really nothing left where Freetown once was. There's like a line of trees and stuff, but like the entire community ended up leaving. Yeah. In the great migration. This is a bummer. Um, So she moves to New York city. (laughs) She gets a job at a laundress and they're like, great. You can work ironing stuff. And she's like, no problem. Never ironed before. It's probably straightforward. I've got this. And she got fired in three hours. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Um, Side note, have I ever told you about the time that our friend Brandon tried to iron something and left the iron on and just put it down no, on their no. wood table so Did that they had, no, they just had a like perfect imprint of an iron on their wood table for the rest of time. 
No. Dumb. So dumb. So dumb. Heated metal. (laughs) Here's this thing that was really hot 25 seconds ago. I could probably just set it down. You unplug it. It's cool. (laughs) It's got an internal cooling system. I can't explain it to you. It's fine. Very complicated. Uh, Yeah, so she's fired in three hours. Um, So for a little while, she worked, quote, as a domestic, but she hated it because it was pretty degrading. Right. Um, And she hated having to enter through her employer's back door because obviously, um, but she was sending money to her younger sister, Naomi, so that Naomi could go to art school. So she stuck it out for a while. Um, And it's pretty much understood that her time in working as a domestic worker and like the angst and all of that pushed her to um, angst is not the right word. That sounds, I don't know, childish, but it's recognized that her time as a domestic worker pushed her into becoming a communist. Um, So she did know how to sew. So ultimately she found a job as a seamstress and she was really good. She was making dresses for, like, very important... Like, she made a dress for Marilyn Monroe. She was very good at making dresses. Yeah. Um, So she's surrounded by these, like, fashion icons and bohemians of the time, and everybody's, you know, wonderful. And so she has them over all the time to cook for them because, like, she grew up in the South where everybody comes over and, like, all, you know, her mom and her aunties are all cooking and everything. So she wanted to do that for them. So... um, One of the people that frequented her parties was named Johnny Nicholson. And in 1948, he decided to open a cafe and he approached Edna about being the head chef. That's her thing. She's a chef. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, So at this cafe, she's making like filet mignon and all this fancy stuff. She's known for her chocolate souffle. Like it's all, you know, it's glamorous. And it talks about how the cafe had like bright colors and big plants and palm fronds and the whole thing. Have you ever had a souffle? I don't. I think so. I've never had one, but I love chocolate souffle challenges on Great British Baking Show. I, I love them. Great British Baking Show, where they're always so stressed out, and it's like <laughs> about. Uh, and it's. I just love it. I love, I love it. it. So much. And they look delicious. And they're all so sweet. And every single challenge, someone's drinking tea at some point. Oh, my God. I know. And they all get so stressed out about, like, cake. It's so precious. I love it. That's 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 about the only exposure that I've had to chocolate souffles, though. That's fair. Um, That's my wholesome show that I put on in the background during all of this time of chaos, because... It's a really good one. Enjoy. Um, So, yeah, she's cooking all this fancy stuff, but famous people keep coming back to the cafe, like, to get her biscuits. Like, they just love her Southern cooking. Uh, One time William, William Faulkner asked her if she learned to cook in Paris and she was like, honey, no, I learned to cook in my mama's kitchen in Virginia. Like, come on. (laughs) Um, So critics are raving about the cafe. It's doing great. Everything's wonderful. And they keep noting how regal Edna always seemed to be so pleased to see the effect that her food was having on people. But also this is full Jim Crow time. Right. Segregation is a reality in most of the North. And here's Edna, who's a partner in a restaurant that's serving Eleanor Roosevelt pretty regularly. And she'll just like peer out of the kitchen. It's just the most upsetting. 
Um, she should be like taking that shit by storm, not having a dude. Just kind of peek yeah. out. Peek out. Oh, they like it. But I love how like she felt comforted because they liked it, and she just yeah. like wanted people to enjoy her food. So at some point, she marries a communist activist named Steve Kingston. And he didn't approve of her working at the cafe because it was so, like, bourgeoisie or whatever. Sure. Um, so she left for him. They start their own little pheasant farm in New Jersey. Which sure. Is just the cutest thing. That's the one thing New Jersey's really known for. Pheasant farms. I know. Yeah. I. It's basically I was, the I only thing that New Jersey is known for. I was typing that out, and I started to type New Jersey, and I clicked back over to the other page where like my research was and I was like it couldn't be New Jersey and I clicked back <laughs> and I was like oh yeah it was New Jersey hooray. the boss is playing second fiddle to pheasants so. I love the phrase playing second fiddle <laughs> <laughs> I love it just so much <laughs> just, and the fact that you're like I mean, you sound like an 87-year-old. Well, you're playing second fiddle. So Thank you. <laughs> so good. Well, <laughs> so they're in Jersey. Right. Pheasant they're farmers. Pheasant. Um, but then all of the pheasants got sick with some mysterious disease, and they all died. So. Oh, no. <laughs> she stopped doing that. Um, so then she... <laughs> That's terrible, but also it's pretty funny. It's kind of funny. It's pretty funny. And like in all of the in all of the research that I did, all of the articles, this chunk of her life, they just like rush over. They're like, ah, then all the birds got sick. They die. She opens and closes her own restaurant. She's catering. She's teaching. She's. They're like, she's doing all these things. She was a consulting chef in both the Carolinas. She worked at the Hall of African Peoples in the African Museum of Natural History. And everybody talks about, like, all of these, like, gorgeous dresses that she wore and all of this African garb that she was making for herself that she was just, like, they use the word regal all the time. Mm. Like, she was just so, like, poised and she had her gorgeous hair, like, pulled up on, you know, she's just living her life, man. Wow. So, unfortunately, one snowy night in the 1970s, she slipped and fell and broke her ankle and so she couldn't be a chef anymore for until it healed. Right. So she got bored during her recovery and finally agreed to help write a book about American cooking that this woman had been nagging her for years to write. And she was like, nah, yeah, nah. and then finally when she broke her ankle, she was like, well, I have nothing else to do. So <laughs> might as well. Yeah. Um, so it was the woman that edited and collaborated with Julia Childs on her book about French cooking. Finally, she agrees. And she's like, okay, I'll do this cookbook for you. Um, so they finished writing this book full of recipes that they considered, quote, fashionable but characterless. And she was like, yeah, it's just like a list of recipes. It's not it's not Southern cooking. And so they figured out it was when Edna was talking about cooking and growing up in this environment and the community. Like, that's when she really that's when everyone engaged. So Judith Jones is the woman who the editor. OK. So she starts asking her questions about her life in the South and cooking and, you know, how growing up and all of that. And Edna's writing down all of her answers. And those answers became the basis of her next book, The Taste of Country Cooking, which was published Cute. in 1976. And instead of just being like 
a collection of recipes, it was why you make it that way. So Edna believed that all food was seasonal, even like fried chicken, all food is seasonal. Um, just like there are certain times when fruits are in season. There are certain times when the chickens are just right and everything comes together perfectly. And so you don't just like, you know, fry up whatever you do it correctly and you cook it at the correct time. And that's how you give thanks for that food. And so I I love it. I am so obsessed with her. I love it so much. So she showed, quote, the simple beauty of food honestly made in the rhythm of the seasons. Um, And she was the first one to, like, bring the idea of farm to table to people's minds. Mm Because can you imagine, like, fresh ingredients make better food? So weird. Um, So up until this point, most Southerners were afraid, or not afraid, they were ashamed of their food. Because it was used in a lot of... They were afraid of their food. (laughs) (laughs) Terrified. Just terrified. (laughs) No, but they were like, they were made fun of for it. It was used in a lot of really harmful stereotypes. And so they were just like made to feel ashamed of Southern food. And like everybody made fun of them for like eating greasy, fatty foods and all this stuff. So it was new and different that Edna showed it reverence and helped people see how Southern cooking was connected to nature and to history and to culture. And it was like, pieces taken from here and here that were melded with this and the ingredients that are close to them and like how it was passed down from generation to generation. So she brought sophistication to it and honored the food rather than whatever, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, So on one hand, her book, the second book is um, a manual to like living in the country and how to forage for mushrooms and how to make the best dandelion wine. Um, but then on the other hand, dandelion wine. Yeah. What would that even taste like? I wonder dandelions probably. (laughs) It said in one of my things, I don't remember. I'll have to go back. Is it hard to make? Should we make dandelion wine? Please do. I bet you have to ferment it for like a real long time though. I have no idea. I, my dog ate a dandelion and then promptly threw up, so. A ringing endorsement. I'm not going to make any. <laughs> <laughs> but it was raw, and, you know, who knows? It was probably different. So, yeah. On one hand, her cookbook is, like, a manual to how to live in the South and to, like, live off the land. And the other one, they considered it a memoir to Southern cooking, which I think is just precious. Um, so before that, the only cookbooks that included Southern recipes literally had racial slurs in the names of some of the dishes and Ew. just really, really awful because most of them were written by white people who asked their servants or slaves what they were making and then wrote it down in a really offensive, horrible way. So when Edna came in and showed this like great tradition of cooking and respect and everything. She was one of the first people. She was the first person to present Southern food in this light. Um, And she was also among the first African-American women from the South to write a cookbook that did not hide the author's true name, gender, or race. 
Wow. Which is so upsetting. That's crazy. The 70s? Yeah, the 70s. She was one of the first few wow. that it didn't hide their identity. It's so upsetting. Um, so through her book, she's encouraging people to slow down and lead a life of mindfulness, which I find really precious and wonderful. Um, she found beauty in everything. It's just, it's that thing that I constantly strive for. And like, I would love to slow down and enjoy things, but I'm always like, okay, and then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll start a gratitude journal or something. Oh my God. Cute. (laughs) Do that. We'll see. (laughs) I also, who was I? Oh, I was talking to my film teacher a few weeks ago. And he was like, yeah, you know, like, what kind of stuff do you want to do? And I was like, all all the things? I don't I don't know. <laughs> he was like, do you journal? I was like, no. He's like, maybe it could be a good thing for you. Point <laughs> <laughs> taken. Okay. I'm not in touch with myself. It's fine. Who knows? Um, do, 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 do. I also love the fact that, like, because she's living this mindful, respectful life, and thankful life, that's what led her to being a political activist. Yeah. And she's like marching in protests and rallies and is super active in the civil rights movement. As I feel like she saw the world for what it was, but also what it could be. And I think that's, that's really cool. Um, so she often told the story of how formerly enslaved rural black people focused on the celebration of their freedom And so she told their story through a joyful lens um, and the joy of working on the land and working as a community. Um, Quote, she always talked about how in spite of these people being slaves, they created a cuisine that would become world renowned. She wanted to make sure people knew that for the most part, traditional Southern cooking was being done by black cooks. Yet almost all of the winners of, of all of the winners, excuse me, of like James Beard Awards and other awards for cookbooks and cooking, for Southern food, zero of the winners were black. What? But zero of them at the time. Wow. But like it was just, it was another form of cultural appropriation. It was like we developed this food. Yeah. And then, you know, anyway. Uh, she did not include a Thanksgiving Day menu in her book. And when her editor asked why, she said that she didn't, they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. They celebrated Emancipation Day. So she put an Emancipation Day menu in her book instead. And that was her little note to the reader of like, pay attention. You know? Wow. I love her. I love her. Um, I think it was every year, but if not every year, it was often. She would go back to where Freetown had once stood and just like stay for a while and reconnect with her roots she eventually moved back to New York at the age of 72 to be a chef at a restaurant in Brooklyn. Oh, my God. She went, she started a new life in a new restaurant at 72. I love it. Wow. Um, she finally retired from restaurants altogether in the 90s and moved to Georgia, where she became best friend and mentor to the guy who is the head chef at the governor's mansion, um, the chef. Her friend is named Scott Peacock and the two became inseparable, which is great because it's like this like 
regal older black woman and a young gay white man that are just like completely inseparable. So together they wrote a book called The Gift of Southern Cooking, Recipes and Revelations from Two Great American Cooks. And I love it so much. Wow. Um, So he eventually, she did end up getting cancer and he eventually became her caretaker until she died because they were besties and I love it so much. She was so good. I know. She was granted an honorary PhD in culinary arts from Johnson and Wales University. Uh, She was awarded the James Beard Living Legend Award in 1999. And she was named Grand Dame of Southern Cooking. Um, So Dr. Edna Lewis died of cancer February 13th in 2006. And she was just a few months shy of turning 90. But that is the story of the grand dame of Southern cooking, Edna Lewis. That's amazing. I love her. I'm such a fan of that lady. Uh, It was so just like soothing to read about her. Yeah. It wasn't one of the ones that like gets you riled up and like, yeah, you know, but man, it was just so calming and great. I love her. Yeah. That's so good. Thanks, man. Oh, um, two source my shit. Um, Britannica. Uh, National Women's History Museum. There was an article by Carrie Lee Alexander. The African American Chefs Hall of Fame website. There was an article, I think, written by Chef Joe Randall. I think. Mentioned his name a couple of times. Okay. Um, but my favorite article, my deep dive article, it was so beautifully written. It was by Francis Lamb for the New York Times. It was called Edna Lewis and the Black Roots of American Cooking. And my favorite quote from it was, we weren't ready for her then, but now we are. And I loved it. Apparently, there's also a documentary about her called Fried Chicken and Sweet Potato Pie. That's like a celebration of her life. But I haven't been able to find it anywhere yet. So if anyone listening knows where I can find that documentary, I want to watch it. That sounds great. Right? Uh, Wow. Good work. That's Emma Lewis. I can't wait for you to see photos of her. She's so beautiful. And just like proud. You know? I can't wait either because I never I never end up looking up photos until they get posted. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm always like, oh, that's what she looks like. (laughs) Really? Because it's always like it's always like right after I edit the episode. And so it's like fresh in my brain. It's always a nice little surprise that I get. On Instagram. Like you I get very you excited know. when you tag me on those in them. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you look up what your lady looks like, right, though? Uh, not on purpose, but usually there are just photos of her well, yeah, usually in articles. Yeah, usually there's photos and around. And so you, yeah. You Google them and their Wikipedia page pops up and so you see. Okay. okay. Yeah. As long yeah. as you're not, like, surprised by what your totally lady looks like. Totally blind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what she looks like. Interesting. No, just half blind. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Uh, Your turn. Okay. Buckle up. So this one's going to be pretty short, I think, because all of the sources for it are literally the only sources that I could find for this lady were, um, like, essentially web pages that pretty clearly people who are really into what she ended up doing wrote like in the nineties. So yeah. it's pretty short, but 
big fan of her. Reagan, have you ever heard of Debbie Lawler? I was really afraid that you were going to do... No, I haven't. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was really afraid because I have a woman that I really want to do, but like she doesn't have a Wikipedia page. There's very little written about her, and mostly it's from people that are just like, huge fan of this lady. Big fans. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh, that scared the lights out of me. All right. I thought for sure that that reaction was that you were a huge fan of her. And I was like, that's amazing to me that you've ever heard of this lady. No, but. I'm absolutely. Oh man. I really wish playing second fiddle fit in this <laughs> context. It just doesn't. Um, no, I have not. Tell me about her. <laughs> great. Okay. So Debbie Lawler, do you want to take a guess as to what her, oh, sure. Fuck it. what um, she was doing? She, <laughs> hmm. what year was she born? 1952. And people in the 90s were writing about it. I mean, I probably. All of the websites are that, like, you know, those, like, flash pages, like, 90s. Yeah. So. Is she a... scientist no is she an athlete yes kind of is she a famous referee no okay those are your three guesses okay so debbie lawler was born december 13th 1952 in grants pass oregon um, her dad was a guy named ben lawler he was a veteran motorcycle racer and was like immediately like okay i'm gonna teach her how to ride motorcycles so he got she started riding on his handlebars when she was nine and then he bought her her first motorcycle when she was 10 this scares the daylights out of me but i love it 100 percent. so um so that's that's like kind of all that we know about her like early life like at all um for a hot second, she went to Phoenix to try her hand at modeling because she's like gorgeous, gorgeous. She tried her hand at modeling, but then she got she thought it was really boring. <laughs> and so I she mean, was like, no, I hate this. Motorcycle racing. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I hate, I hate doing this. So in 1966, she starts ra- racing motocross because she met up with a guy who um, owned a like motocross team in Phoenix and he was like, I mean, do you want to join up? But she was like, hell fucking yeah, bud. So um, she joins up. So when she was 20, she starts doing motorcycle jumps and uh, like stunt motorcycle racing at fairs and speedways across the country. Um, she was huge fan of it when she was she was 5'2 and barely 100 pounds. Like yeah. at her heaviest, she was 106 pounds. So basically when she goes off a motorcycle jump, she just flies for a little while. She just while. like kind of floats and then for a bit. she's holding on, it pulls her back down. Yeah. Yep. The weight of the bike is what pulls her down. Yep. And she thought it was hilarious that she was the size that she was and doing this. So she was quoted as saying, the crowd expects to see a 300 pound tattooed lady with chains hanging down her back. They don't expect me. <laughs> She's, like, this cute, like, little tiny, like, blonde lady. Amazing. Now I'm picturing her, like, whenever she goes off those jumps, 
if for some reason <laughs> Snow was silent, you just hear like. <laughs> <laughs> she's like just having the best time, yeah, start to finish. <laughs> and like everyone who ever came into contact with her is like, yeah, no, she's just a really nice person. Like she's just really lovely. She's very funny, and she happens to jump motorcycles. So you know. So keep in mind, this is the late 60s, early 70s. So we are in peak Evil Knievel time, Hell yeah. right? So um, Evil Knievel, kind of an asshole. No. By all accounts, he's I am, kind of an I'm asshole. shocked. <laughs> so 1974, it's the same year that Evil Knievel attempts his canyon jump. Um, so motorcycle racing is, or motorcycle jumping is like, all the rage, right? So February of 1974, she performs a motorcycle jump at the Houston Astrodome. Um, it was broadcast on ABC's Wide World of Sports show, which was apparently a thing. Um, and this is when she broke the indoor motorcycle jump record that was previously held by Evil Knievel. She's the first person to ever break one of his records. Hell yes. Um, she jumped 101 feet over 16 trucks. <laughs> sure. Evil Knievel had previously jumped over 15 trucks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, because she was so lightweight. She right. Just, she just floated. She just fly over him. <laughs> Zoopy. Um, so I wish, she. I wish everybody could see our hands. I do too. <laughs> just gliding over our computers. <laughs> it's like this. You have to do it. It's like this. Hands. Just picture it. Um, so she was 21 when she did this. Dude. Amazing. Um, so people started calling her the female Evil Knievel, or as I like to call her, Debbie Lawler, <laughs> because that is her name. <laughs> um, <laughs> so shockingly, Evil Knievel was pissed about his record being broken by a 21-year-old lady. Um, so when the wide world of sports asked Evil Knievel what he thought about the jump, he said, quote, I can spit farther than she can jump. Bitch, come on. Hey, so no, you can't. And we all no, know that. you can't. B, I'd like to see you spit 102 feet, Evil Knievel. She jumped farther than you. Just like, let just, it. Just get over it. Go. Just get over it. Wow. So he could not get over it. In March, the following month, he invites her to watch his jump at the Portland Memorial Coliseum, where then he beat her record. <laughs> so he immediately took it back, um, which, like, come on, bud. Whatever, just, dude. Just, just be cool, just for a little bit. No. Um, and so then when she was asked about him taking his record back, she says, quote, it was a beautiful jump, just beautiful. Like, she's, like, so supportive and what sweet to him. Person? Uh, <laughs> she's the best. And... colleagues? I know. I know. So there is, I mean. Even if they call themselves evil? Which, so apparently he, like, it, he originally went by evil spelled, like, evil, and then changed it to be two E's because he thought it sounded better. <laughs> so it's E-V-E-L. Did you know that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Evel, Knievel. <laughs> when famous men change their names to new things that they think are cool, 100% of the time it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 100%. Meta World Peace? 
Are you, yeah. are you serious? <laughs> Dumb. Are you serious? Dumb as fuck. Um, so there is a book called Evil Knievel and Other Daredevils. It's written by a guy named Joe Scalzo. Um, and she has her own chapter in it where she's interviewed. And like this book was written in the 70s. It's full of a lot of really sexist shit, obviously. Um, he there's like there's like a large discussion about how she doesn't have any like scrapes or anything on her face. So she's still very attractive, which like who the fuck cares? Oh my God. Who cares? But there is a really great, great quote from her in there. Where she says, quote, all I can say is I never wear a bra. I don't jump without my lucky bra, though. I just won't jump without it. It's a real dainty French thing. I'm superstitious about it. I won't jump without it or my manager being right there. The only time she ever wore a bra was when she was jumping. My Incredible. hero. My hero. And apparently it was just like really ugly, like orange bra. Mm. Sure. Into There's it. There's no way a lucky bra is an attractive bra. Absolutely not. Fact no. no. Absolutely not. Um, so by this time, obviously, she's a huge hit. Um, people are calling her the Flying Angel or the Female Evil Knievel or the Queen of Motorcycle Jumps. Like, she's that one's a cool. huge hit. Um, she is doing, like, advertisements for tires and things, which I guess, like, motorcyclists are into. Yeah. You need them. Um, you need them. Uh, the people who made Easy Bake Ovens eventually made a Debbie Lawler toy for uh, girls because they wanted girls to get hyped about motorcycle jumps. So there's, and it's now a collector's item because it was a limited run toy. So now it's like a huge thing. So Debbie Lawler has also been quoted as saying, quote, I've always been the kind who, when people say something can't be done, goes out and does it to know that I'm using all my own abilities and that no one else can help me. That's the joy of jumping. I love my motorcycle when I feel the wind in my face and I'm free. Mm. My favorite. I love all of these daredevil ladies that are like yes. jumping out of planes and shit. Oh, how do you find these ladies? I love it. I love learning about them. <laughs> Such a fan. Um, so then March, 1975. So, one year after she broke Evil Knievel's record, she's jumping at the Ontario Motor Speedway in California. During her jump, keep in mind, she is a little tiny person. Very so small. during her jump, she's leaping over these trucks again, and a gust of wind hits and knocks her off balance. So she lands and starts hitting a wobble and loses control of the bike. So... Um, she hit a new record of jumping 140 feet, but then she lost control and skidded over 100 feet on her back. No. no. So she broke her back in three places, but she lived. That's she survived. Good. That's good. Um, she did an interview with People Magazine the following year where she said, quote, by all rights, I should have been killed. <laughs> She's just like, yep, yeah, I probably wrong. should have died, but I didn't. Um that she says, bitch. she says, quote, I'm glad it happened before a large audience. They certainly got their money's worth. <laughs> this woman is here for a good time and not a long time. Oh, man. She does not give a shit. No. Oh, it's Ooh. so good. So um, after she recovered, she never went back to jumping, even though she had planned on it. Um, she th- I couldn't find much about 
what she did after she retired from jumping. Kind of the most that I could find was that she ended up producing some Daredevil shows of her own and um, kind of traveled around and told people about her her career of jumping motorcycles. Um, she is still alive, but like all of the articles that I found were like, yeah, she, uh, you know, she's, she's still alive. Don't really know what she's doing now. Like she just kind of has like faded into being a regular human being. Um, she has been quoted as saying that she is pretty sure that she's not ever going to jump motorcycles again because nobody will want to see a little old lady jumping motorcycles to which two of the different articles that I read were like, "Uh, wrong. Like, Everyone on the planet would love to see that. (laughs) Um, So a last fun little thing that kind of makes it better. Evil Knievel, when he rebroke that record in 1974, he gave Debbie a pink mink coat, which like, wow, gaudy as fuck. But whatever. She seemed to be into it. Um, And it had a message sewn inside that read, happy landings, love evil. So like... He yeah. still even respected the influence that she had on the whole community and, like, recognized that, like... Either that or his manager was like, my dude, do like, something nice, everyone hates you. You gotta chill the fuck out. Stop, chill the fuck out. Gotta chill. Um, but, yeah, that is the short and sweet story of motorcycle jumping yeah. legend Debbie Lawler. <laughs> Huge fan. Humongous fan. Isn't that a great time? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> So to source my shit real quick, um, the Debbie Lawler story written by Steve Mandich, which is a website that I didn't really use much of because it was, (laughs) it's literally stevemandich.com. And it seems like he just writes different articles about like motorcycle jumpers. And so I was like, I don't, I feel like this is knockoff Wikipedia. So like, so you know, anyway, Just Wikipedia, it's great. Buttered time. up with bias. Yeah. Uh, Cyclejumpers.org had a fun article. Good Spark Garage. Like, they're all just, like, m- motorcycle yeah. websites. Amazing. Um, History.com had a great article, Seven of History's Most Fearless Female Daredevils, written by Sarah Pruitt. And then there's the People Magazine article that uh, didn't have an author. It was just written by People's staff. Um, yeah. from 1974, it was one of their archived ones, Debbie Lawler, the pain and payoff of jumping over cars. <laughs> Damn. And it was, it was, uh, an interview with her, like, like a year after she broke her back. So it's her being like, wow. yep, like I'm going to get back out there. And then she just never did. Hmm. So. Damn. Yeah. And there's like all these photos. There's all these photos of her big crash where you can see people in the stands being like, oh, no. Oh, (laughs) and she's just like sliding down. Oh, that would stress me out so much. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'll include one of them. But woof. Mm -hmm. Watching watching like wipeouts and crashes stresses me out so much. I know. Because in my mind, I'm just like bone snapping. Yep. All over the place. Yeah. But wow, good job, dude. What a fun fucking babe. So fun. So fun. So. Wow. Very. I cool. almost did the first female cannonballer. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> I might just do a string of thrill-seeking ladies. 
I would not be opposed. Because I'm I, such a fan. I'm now, so I, I was worried that I couldn't find enough research on that babe. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just, I'm going to do her next week. She's, she's so cool. I love yeah. her so much. And she takes no shit for me. To, I love her so much. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm Great. Gonna do it. I can't wait. <laughs> Big fan. Hell yeah, dude. Do you want to tell me about your babe this week? Oh yeah. What is that? It's a bone. Oh, it's a dog bone. Yeah. She gets really excited when Trevor gets home. And so she grabs it and keeps it near her. And so it's Cute. just, it was just, <laughs> you know, um, it's yeah, like it's I, but. I have a handful of babes this week, actually, mm. because this is the week every year or this last week. It's the week every year that I affectionately call birthday week. So it was my grandpa's birthday and Veronica's birthday and Caitlin's birthday all this last week. Damn. So um, I think the three of them are my babes because oh, yeah, dude. I'm a big fan of all of them. They're it's all, all their birthdays. Dynamite. Yeah. So got to chat with my grandpa for a nice long time. I mean, a long time for him because he's like me where he hates talking on the phone so it was literally an eight minute conversation which is (laughs) like the longest conversation I've had with him in a while but also that's ideal for like it's perfect it's perfect it's perfect um yeah so that was nice and but yeah so I think that the the three of them I, I really severely doubt that my grandpa listens to this but I don't if know. you do, <laughs> <That's a favorite>. <laughs> <laughs> three okay. of them, they're my babes. Amazing. I love it. Those are good babes. Um, your babes. My babe is actually from Great British Baking Show. Cute. Um, have you, do you remember Nadia? Yes. Oh my have God. And she's got her show? new show. No. It's, I haven't watched it yet, but I really plan on it because she is so lovely and I am obsessed with her. It's so <laughs> lovely. It's so precious. She's just the cutest. And she's got all of her bright colors and she's got her bright fingernail polish and she's like doing her little thing. It's so cute. She'll often like whisper to the camera like she's telling you some big like cooking secret and it's being oh. like, streamed on Netflix. It's the cutest thing in the world. And I've already made two of her recipes. Because they're super simple and straightforward. So it's very good for like, this is something you've probably never thought of, but try it this way. And it's brilliant. I love it. But she's just so sweet and wonderful. And it's like, seriously, I've been excited to watch it every day. Uh, And I only watch one episode a day because I can just like, Nadia, you're so cute. She's so cute. She's just. So she seems so natural in front of the camera, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And like her family is on there and she visits other families around Britain and like you get to know them and their kids. And so it's so cute. It's just like wow. the most uplifting, wonderful thing. So I'm, I'm a huge fan and she's absolutely my babe forever. I kind of forgot that her new show was out. So now I'm very excited to go watch it. It's, it's so good. It's so good. I love I it. And wait. she, like, at one point, <laughs> she made French toast, and she was wearing, like, a bright yellow sweater, and she was eating it, and she was like, and always, you know, 
the rule that everybody everybody knows but nobody talks about is like you have to have your breakfast match your outfit for the day so i've done that check (laughs) (laughs) i love you wow she's so cute but yeah she's like brought so much joy to my very stagnant week i love that me too yeah so you definitely go watch it and then see if you can guess which recipes i've made Okay. How well? How many have you watched? Um, that's hard. I've watched the first cheating? so far, but okay. um, I've made one recipe from the first episode like three times. Um, so let's just do that one. See which which recipe in the first episode. It's so easy. You're okay, so know. there's like multiple recipes in one episode. Yeah. Okay. Great. Because yeah. the whole point of it is like. You don't have to make everything from scratch. Embrace the cheats. Life is busy. Spend time with your family. You know, the exact opposite of everything Edna Lewis was talking about. But it's really sweet and yeah. <laughs> super cute. And it's so good. I've been watching a lot of cooking shows lately. I'm, very I'm into that. Now. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good time. Man. <sighs> well, well dude, somehow we've done another one. Done another one. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy how that, uh, Next week, I'm going to pick a lady from, like, the first century. Good. <laughs> Please. Just to make sure. I mean, it's not, like... <laughs> it's because it I keep... goes first. It's I keep, like, finding older ladies and then getting on, like, a bunny trail and being like, oh, wait, but this lady... And then I look, and she was born in, like, 1996. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, okay, cool. I mean... So... It's really, uh... It's not a burden to go first. It's yeah. A strange trend mm-hmm. happening, but no worries. It's fine. Um, but I'm pretty sure I will be going second next week, knowing who I'm doing. I'm pretty sure I'll be second. Great. Unless you choose someone that was born in 1996, and then I'm I'm fucked. But yeah. Okay. You know. I'm on it. Okay. Um, wow, dude. This was great. This was great. One of these days, we'll figure out a way to smoothly end these nah just like <laughs> here we are i don't think that's ever gonna happen the end of the road. um folks if you're still listening we're huge fans of you and thanks for doing that and you know follow us on the places and like the stuff and we you know do the things get your get your weekly dose of dope babes you know? yep Yep. Yep. <laughs> um. All right, Fran. Love you, Fran. Love you. Love this. You too, man. It's a great it's time. A great time. Big fan. Yeah. Watch all right. Let me know what you I think. will. I absolutely will. One hundred percent. Good. Um. All right. Bye. Bye.